0: New Year message on the 4th of January next week. I'll bring the New Year's message and then um, we'll start the year in earnest. But uh, the last sermon of the year, it's always um, a hard sermon to preach in the sense that you never know um, well, yes, you wait on God and you wait on God for a word which every pastor worth his salt should do. At the same time, you are quite reflective this time of the year, and you're just wondering how you could tie things up. And I thought, I'd love to go to this text and preach just from one verse, just from one verse, if you would turn with me. It's, it's a verse that speaks about, it's, it's a verse that is both a challenge, a warning, and an encouragement if we could put it all together. Um, it's, it's a good year, it's a good way to tie the year up. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4 and I'd like to read from one verse and that's verse 23 and that's my text for this morning Proverbs, Proverbs 24 but I'd like to read from 20 onwards my son pay attention to what I say listen closely to my words do not let them out of your sight keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to to a man's whole body. And our text this morning, Above All Else, 23, Above All Else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth, keep corrupt talk far from your lips, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, make level paths for your feet, And take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is the word of God and this is the text. And this is a challenge and this is a warning and this is an encouragement for all of us as we reach the close of this year. Shall we pray before we hear God's word? Lord, we want you to speak this morning. I don't want to be the one speaking. Even though you have a mouthpiece for your message, Lord, I'm aware that it shouldn't be I who is speaking. It should be you. So, Lord, please, would you not speak to us today, Lord? We all need a word as we tie up this year and tuck it away and face the new year head on with all its challenges. So as we close this year, you have a word for us. Speak, we pray. For we hear, in Jesus' name, Amen. The one word this morning that is at the center of our talk is the word heart. And you know something? The first and the greatest commandment of all has the word heart there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So this seems to be the thing that God is looking at very intently your heart and my heart. And our text this morning in Proverbs four twenty three says, Guard your heart. Now that's not a good translation. A good translation would begin with above all else, guard your heart. Above all keeping, keep your heart. Uh, the Hebrew text begins with above all else, more than anything else, guard your heart. You know, in the Hebrew language, when a phrase appears before something that's about to be spoken, that phrase is the emphasis. That's the emphatic verse in Hebrew. When a verse comes before anything that's about to be said, that is the emphasis. So the emphasis seems to be not even on guarding your heart. It's above everything you do. So that's the emphasis. More than anything else that you may do, guard your heart. So the command is very clear. Why? Because the human heart is a ruined heart. It's a perverse heart. It's a corrupted, polluted heart. That's the human heart. We come into this world with a defective heart. You could, put it that, you could put it this way. All of us came into this world with defective hearts. Moses says God saw that every imagination of the thought of their hearts were continually evil. Remember Genesis 6? Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, says Jeremiah. And Jesus says every kind of evil on this earth proceeds out of the heart, Matthew fifteen nineteen. So you could say that we all come with zero unit on the credit side of the ledger when we all come into this world. It's nothing, nothing at all. Zilch. We came into this world with zilch, as far as credit to the human heart goes. Totally, utterly depraved. Uh, It's got nothing to do with education. It's got nothing to do with upbringing. You could have the finest upbringing and still have an evil heart. Guys like Burton Russell, in his own time, believed that with time, with education, we will build a better world. Well, that sort of romantic idea has all but gone now. Pockets of it survive here and there, but romanticism on the whole is dead. Nobody believes anymore that with good upbringing and with good education we can bring peace to this world. You can't. Who has had the finest pedigree but Paul? Paul's upbringing was impeccable. Sweet upbringing finest pedigree of all people, and yet deep inside he tells us that he's a depraved and wretched person. The only hope really for the human heart comes through the renovation, and Richard Foster, guys like Richard Foster spent his entire life building a program on what's called renovate how to renovate the human heart, and he rightly focused on Jesus as the only cure For the human heart. So unless the human heart is renovated, unless the human heart is given a total upheaval, um, total renovation, we remain dead in our sin. There will be no hope for you. There will be no desire for you, for God. There will be no hunger for you in for God. You will not hear God's voice. So, and the religious badge that you wear and the religious badge that I wear Sunday after Sunday is not going to do us any good at all. That's where the gospel comes in. And Ezekiel understood this. Ezekiel says, I will remove from you a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Short of that kind of replacement, short of that kind of an open heart surgery, short of that kind of a heart transplant, We have no hope. The joy is this, the good joy of Christmas is this, that you and I have been renovated. We have been renewed. We have been given a new heart uh, without which we couldn't have pleased God. So that's the good news. But there's a big but here. And the Puritan writer, for example, John Flavel, He's very wise. He he says the greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to, to Christ. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to Christ, but the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with Christ. Don't you like that? The greatest difficulty with conversion is to win the heart to Christ. But the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with Christ. Why? Because Flavel says even if you have a gracious heart, what you really have is a finely tuned instrument that so easily gets out of tune if you let it so much as hang there for a few days without using it. I almost bought a cello this Christmas for someone I love. But upon a closer look, it's, it's, the entire frame has been compromised with heaps and heaps of microscopic borers. Unless you use a, a magnifying glass, which I did, I took a glass there to have a close look, and I watched all those borer holes there. So the whole entire frame has been compromised, and therefore, as much as you tune it as best you can, in no time it gets out of tune because the frame is no longer strong to hold the tuning right for more than a week. And that's what Flavel says of the human heart. It's a finely tuned instrument, and you let let it hang there for a few days, it goes out of tune, because the default setting of the human heart is to get out of tune with God. And so God comes to you this morning, and God comes to me this morning, and he says to us, Above all else, guard your heart. Now, first question I want to ask this this morning is, why must we guard our hearts? First reason is right here in the text, because out of it comes the wellsprings of life. That's the reason why you ought to be guarding your heart, because out of your heart comes the offsprings, the wellsprings of life. Totsiyoth chayim that Hebrew word, which speaks of the organ of the human heart because each time it squeezes and it pumps, blood goes to all the extremities of your body. So all the extremities of your bodies are well nourished with oxygen and nourishment because the heart pumps so strongly and so vigorously and so well. And so this is the analogy that your heart is the wellspring of every part of your life. The life of the mind, the life of the soul, the life of your thought, the life of your emotion, all that is dependent on the health of the heart. As long as the heart pumps really strongly and well, nourishment goes to every part of your body. So that's the analogy here. In the Bible, the heart is the center of the mind, the heart is the center of the the spirit, the heart is the center of the body. It is from your heart that you live and move. It is from your heart that you think. You love out of your heart. You lead with your heart. A good pastor should lead with his heart. You parent your children with your heart. You feel with your heart. You speak with your heart. Jesus says it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. You think it's your mouth that is speaking. Jesus says, no, it's not your mouth that is speaking. It's out of your heart that the mouth speaks. You even think with your heart. Did you not know that? Jesus says, uh, the the word of God says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Did you not know that you even see with your heart? You think you see with your eyes. You actually see with your heart. Peter spoke speaks about having eyes full of adultery. You see, you think lust comes from your eyes. Lust actually comes from your heart before anything else. And you believe in your heart. You crave with your heart. If you crave for anything at all, sitting there this morning listening to me, if you're craving for anything at all right now, whether what you're about to have for lunch, perhaps... Uh, you crave with your heart. You have fancy in your heart. When you do have fancy, it is your heart that sobs when someone dear to you is taken away. It is your heart that sorrows. It is your heart that weeps. It is your heart that mourns. When you have a hunch that something is not right, the hunch comes from the heart. This is why you ought to guard your heart how right the Bible is, that the heart is the wellspring of life. So that's the first reason why you should guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. If the heart is not right, nothing is right. Whether I stand before you this morning right in the the eyes of God does not depend on how eloquent I am this morning because I can pull that off after years of practice I can pull that off, and yet my heart is as depraved as a goat's heart. So as God looks at this preacher here, preaching away this morning, he looks at at his heart. If the heart is not right, this sermon is not going to come across right. It's not going to touch any one of you. It's not going to speak to any one of you. The soundness of your health depends on the soundness of your heart. You know, when a patient is about to go in for a surgery on his leg, on his thigh, first thing the doctor looks is not the condition of the leg. He's going in for a leg surgery, and yet the first thing the doctor looks at is his heart. If his heart will not stand up to surgery, no matter how badly the leg is damaged, they will not proceed because he won't survive. The health of the lake depends on the health of the heart. You see how strongly dependent the whole health of the body, the health of the entire body is on the health of the heart. So just as it is in the physical realm, so it is in the spiritual realm. So that's one reason why we need to guard our hearts. Out of it proceeds all the issues of life. The second reason why you need to guard your heart, and that is this, Satan waits to molest your heart. That's the second reason why you, we need to guard our hearts. Satan waits to molest it. He lies in wait to steal your heart away from you. Had Samson guarded his heart, Deli- Delilah would have stood no chance. But in a moment of weakness, the word of God says, Did you not know that in Judges 16, there's a phrase you and I need to take caution of and take notice of? And he told her all his heart. Have you ever read that phrase in Judges 16? And he told her all his heart. Judges 16, verse 17. He shouldn't have told her all his heart. But he told her all his heart. And so his heart was stolen because he exposed the weakness in his heart. The heart is the place where God dwells, but the heart is also the place where Satan seeks to molest. So that's the second reason why you need to guard your heart. There's a third reason why you need to guard your heart because God is looking at your heart. There's a third reason why we should guard our hearts. God is looking at your heart. Second Chronicles 16:9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, right throughout the whole earth, to look for one man and one woman whose heart is blameless toward him. I love that phrase. Second Chronicles 16:9. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro on the entire earth to look for one man and one woman whose heart is blameless toward him. You know when Samuel was looking for a king he came to this family with so many children did you not remember the story? The first person the prophet Samuel set his eyes on was Eliab because Eliab would look like an Arnold Schwarzenegger Eliab was wow, I can't stand taller than this. That's all I can go. Huge and handsome, really handsome, good-looking bloke. And Samuel perhaps was a little taken by this look. And at that point in time, God says, look away from him, because the king I will choose is a man that's not dependent on his look or on his stature. And then God says these words, God says, man looks on the outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the reason we need to guard our hearts is God is looking at our heart. That's the third reason. God is looking at your heart, God is looking at my heart. But there is a fourth reason why we should be guarding our hearts, and that is this, the heart only has a finite capacity for stuff on this earth. The heart cannot be overfilled. The heart can only be filled this much, and not anymore. It's reached full capacity. The human heart has a capacity. It can only take in so much, and that's the reason why you should guard your heart. Judas filled his heart with nationalism, didn't he? And he couldn't fill it anymore with a love for God. Demas filled his heart with the love of the world. And Paul says in a very sad sentence, Demas in love with the world has deserted me. Demas had no more place in his heart for love for the mission of the gospel because he's in love with the world. So be careful. The heart has capacity for only that much and no more. Several things happen when you leave your heart crowded. You suffer from physical exhaustion. You suffer from spiritual lethargy. You feel torn and confused. You overcommit your schedule. You live lives with frantic restlessness. Small things become big burdens for you. It becomes too laborious for you. You lose perspective. You develop a spirit of defensiveness. You indulge in self-pity. I find myself getting that way when I'm over committed in my heart you become petty you whine at the smallest inconvenience you would rather perform a task than relate to a person did you you not get this every time you find yourself that you would rather perform a task than relate to a person you've, you've worn out, you've burned out because performing a task is easy but relating to a person is hard and every time when church service is over, you immediately want to go to the car park and drive off. It would be this. You'd rather perform a task here. You come to perform this task of worship, but you wouldn't relate to people. It becomes too much for you. It's a sign that your heart is overloaded with stuff. And you confuse the urgent for the vital. Who was it now? Who wrote that book, The Tyranny of the Urgent Charles Hummel, yes Charles Hummel says that uh, yeah every time you put the urgent before the important, you've lost perspective the urgent is seldom important things that are important are seldom urgent so when you confuse such stuff it's because your heart has been overloaded with stuff and lastly you develop this frightening capacity to lie even to yourself, do you not hear that? You develop this frightening capacity to lie even to yourself. When you begin even to lie even to yourself, your heart is busting with overcommitment. Those then are the four reasons why we need to guard our hearts. Right. The question is this if you and I need to guard our hearts, how then? How then may we guard our hearts? It all starts with the word fill. Number one, fill your heart with things of God. Keep your heart nourished. I like to put it that way. Keep your heart nourished. You know, from dawn to dusk, on any given day, you have an overload of things and stuff that is not from God. Whether in your place of work, stuff you read, stuff you hear other people in your workplace talk about, In a given in any given seventy-two hours, you have an overload of stuff that are not Christian. So the overload is there. And unless you deliberately intentionally nourish your heart with the things of God, you stand no chance, you're a dead duck. You stand no chance to guard your heart for God. Unless you are nourishing your heart with the word. There is no running away. One of the foolproof way to guard your heart from those heart snatchers, so to speak, is to keep it full of God. Keep it full of Christ. Keep, keep it full of the word of Christ. Keep it full with the love of God. A full head is good, but a full heart is better. Psalms 119.11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a good verse for all young people in their adolescence, growing up in their young teenage years. And you fathers, when your children reach teenage years, good to get them to memorize Psalm 119, 11. Thy word have I tucked away in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Or Colossians 3, 6, Let the word of God dwell richly in your heart. I love that. Let the word of God dwell richly in your heart. So that's the first way to guard your heart. Keep it full with the word of God. The second way to keep your heart is to keep it pure. Simple as that: If the heart isn't pure, the life isn't pure. Psalms 24, "Who shall I send to my holy hills? But he who has clean hands and clean hearts, keep it pure. You guard your heart by keeping it pure. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Glorify God in your body. I saw, I once, as a young man, about the age of 14, 15, 16, I'm not sure, I went to my first uh, scripture union camp, and on the campsite there was a huge poster. I could still see it with my eyes. That was when I was 14 years old. I could still see that poster with my eyes. It's a huge poster of about six sprinters ready to make the 100 meters dash waiting for the gun to go off. They were all on their starting block and the text that writes across that poster says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It just just challenged me as a young man to, to run for God to keep my heart pure for God had Joseph that afternoon stayed around and rationalized with Potiphar's wife he would have been a dead duck had Joseph that afternoon look at his own heart and begin to check his feelings about how he felt he would have been a dead duck but instead he bolted he took to his heels and I've remembered this before. I've said this before, the 3H. Remember the 3H that Dr. Ironside says? It's not your head. Don't rationalize. When you're in a dangerous position, don't stop to rationalize. Neither use your heart, but use your heels. Bolt. <laughs> take take to, the, to the fields. Run. I like Timothy's best advice. He says, flee. Flee youthful lust. Second Timothy two twenty two. That should be the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. 2 Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-two. Don't think for a moment that you can entertain sin in your mind and do no damage to your soul. The sin that you harbor in your imagination assaults your soul, it sears your conscience, and ultimately poisons your heart. To stoke your mind with impure thoughts is to dabble with sin it all starts with the mind gate Jesus says blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and Hebrews 12 says without holiness no one can see God an impure heart can ruin you for all eternity deal with impurity ruthlessly snuff it out I'm not sure what you struggle with Some of you guys, you really need to install covenant eyes on your computer. It's magical. It just stops you completely from going to sites. You otherwise, in the dead of night, might be tempted to visit. There's no chance. You just snuff it out. That's what I mean by dealing with it ruthlessly. Choke the life out of the system. Mortify it. So there are steps we need to take to guard our hearts. Keep it pure. Thirdly, keep your heart. So keep it full, keep it pure, and thirdly, keep it undivided. Keep your heart undivided. Keep your heart for Christ alone. Do not divide your affections with someone else. There is an old old hymn that I'm going to put my reputation as a musician on stake. (laughs) At the end of this service, I'm going to try to sing a song. There's an old hymn with the title "Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing," it it puts it very well. Prone to wonder, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, Here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for the courts above. That spoke that 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 verse speaks volumes to me. I know that my heart is prone to wonder prone to leave the throne of God. And uh, I pray that God's goodness like a fetter will bind me to him. You know, in the old uh, states, southern states of America, they had slaves, and you, you still see them in museums, great, strong, heavy fetters that shackle your hands and your feet. And here this hymn writer is asking God that God uses his... Love to be a fetter to keep your heart from wandering away. It's a lovely, lovely thought to guard your heart, keep it undivided. To whom to whom have you given your heart? To whom does your heart belong this morning? What sweetens your heart? What really sweetens your heart? A Whitaker bar? Oh, something else, that does of course that does the trick and, uh, but something else should sweeten your heart who are you devoted to it's a very old fashioned word, devoted, who are you devoted to, what enthralls you what ravishes you uh, is your heart seduced by someone who is much more beautiful than Jesus with whom are you infatuated who mesmerizes you Who occupies your heart or your waking hour? We need to ask those sort of questions. So keep your heart undivided. So to guard your heart, keep it full, keep it pure, and keep it undivided. And I want to finish now with a very practical way to do it. And I've got this from Tim Keller. When he was asked how he guards his heart every single day of his life, he says, I do petitions in the morning, and I do repentance in the evening. In other words, every morning he starts with petition. Lord, help me to be free enough, strong enough, confident enough in you to stop me from being proud, being cold, being scared, and being hooked. He uses those four emotions. And then at night, he would look back upon his day and he would confess how he had been scared, how he had been hooked, how he had been cold, how he had been proud. But it is the middle of, it, it, it's what he did in the middle of the day that really uh, challenged me. So in the morning, petition. In the evening, repentance. But in the middle of the day, 12 noon, he catches himself all the time if he remembers. He confesses that some days he fails to do it, but most days he remembers. He catches himself in the middle of the day, and these four words he uses Have I been proud? Have I been cold so far in the last four hours since I woke up? Have I been scared? Have I been hooked? What's that, you ask? Well, let me close by taking one at a time. Proud, proud. You're too self-congratulatory. You're disdainful of people who haven't got it right because you've got it right. You've got a house. You've got a car. You've got a healthy bank account and you look at somebody who hasn't got there, you have no time for him. You don't really go and talk to him. You're prideful. You're prideful that you have attained, and she hasn't. She'll only pull you down. So he catches himself that he'd been prideful. Second, cold. How do we become cold? We become cold when we are too preoccupied building our own empire. I don't know what you are. I don't know. You're a teacher. You're a truck driver. You're a scientist. You're an engineer. You're trying to build a career. So when you pass by someone who is needy, you're cold. You're You're cold not because you have a cold heart. You're cold because something warms you much more than stopping by to take care of this person. You're not compassionate. You're not gracious. You're not warm. You're not joyful with people so he catches himself being cold and then he catches himself being scared if I may confess this to you this is what I catch myself sinning most days of my life I'm scared of the four emotions this and if you want to pray for me which I've always challenged you to pray for me pray that I'll, be, I'll not be so scared I'm scared of many many things in life I know I ought not to My two girls know about that. They try to help me. Uh, Yeah. Being scared means Jesus is not sufficient for you. You're trying to grab the steering wheel. You're trying to drive it that way. You think, I'll go that way. That's a better way to go. I know what I'm doing. So you're scared. You're scared to let Jesus take over the control of your life. And the last one, he asked himself, have I been hooked so far for the last, what, four, five hours since I woke up till noon. Hooked means you're eating more than you should because it makes you happy. It takes away your pain. So you eat. Or uh, you oversleep. You overwork. Or you look at a woman more than once. You're hooked because... Jesus does not gratify you enough. You need other gratification in order to be happy. And so he catches himself doing that. And I've spoken about this before and I want to share it again with you. Have I been proud? Have I been scared? Have I been cold? Have I been hooked in the last three, four hours? You do that and that's a good way of guarding your heart. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. So in short, we don't need anything else. Don't need to be proud don't need to be scared don't need to be hooked don't need to be cold we don't need to we can keep a pure heart we can keep a lovely heart, a heart that relies on God, a heart that loves Jesus that's a result of preaching yourself the gospel to yourself daily So let's guard our hearts for out of it comes the wellsprings of life. And now, let me see if I can make a fool of myself.